Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Wardy. I'm Wardy, a wife and mom of three and author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Fermenting Foods. I'm also the lead teacher, blogger, and owner of traditionalcookingschool.com. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast devoted to healthy family cooking with traditional methods like sourdough and old-fashioned pickling. These foods are easy, delicious, healing, and your family will love them. If you haven't already, be sure to grab my free gift for you. Five free traditional cooking videos from inside Traditional Cooking School that will introduce you to my favorite fundamental techniques of traditional cooking. To start watching today, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash watch. And now, let's get to today's show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Know Your Food with Wardy podcast. This is episode 167. For links and more, visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 167. However, if you're joining me live right now, those show notes are not ready for you, but they will be up on Friday, June 24th. I want to give a big warm welcome to my live audience. Hello on Periscope. So glad you're here. Thanks for the hearts that are flowing and that you're sharing. And hello to everyone who's checking this out with the normal release of the podcast every Friday. Know your food with Wardy. You are welcome to. If you're listening to this through your earbuds and you want to switch to video, there's a video embedded at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 167 and vice versa. And no matter what, um, at the show notes, I'm going to have notes on um, the exact questions that I'm answering today about sourdough, as well as my answers. So that will be available with the replay package of this podcast. So um, let the cat out of the bag. Today's topic is sourdough frequently asked questions. Um, as you may or may not know, I do a weekly Ask Wardy show and podcast where I answer your questions about traditional cooking. And we have tons and tons of questions to answer there. And I was drawing a blank today for what are we going to talk about and know your food with Wardy. So I started looking through those questions and I was like, you know what? There's seven questions that have to do with sourdough just waiting there. I'm going to tackle them all on Know Your Food with Wardy podcast. So that means Tammy and Chris and Gaylene and Pam, you're all going to get your questions answered <laughs> faster. So that's what we're going to do here on Know Your Food with Wardy podcast today. So let me just take a quick poll. Those of you who are listening live, give me a thumbs up if you use sourdough regularly in your home and a thumbs down if you don't. <laughs> but thumbs down is no judgment. Thumbs down is just a no. So we've got a thumbs up from Amy. Great. Glad to hear it, Amy. Any other thumbs up? And do we have thumbs down. So wholesome living is a thumbs down. Okay. Terry, Vic, oh, Vicky says, tried but not lately. Prairie Gentian is a thumbs up. Um, another thumbs up. Helen is a thumbs up. Good. So we've got more thumbs up than down. That's great. Uh, Jackie is a thumbs down. And um, CA Dubs says, stopped when I became gluten intolerant. Totally understandable. And three more thumbs up, including Robin P. Great. Oh, um, Gina, your starter is three days old. Yay for you and your starter. That's fantastic. Well, so, so we do have a house full um, of sourdough users for the most part. So maybe some of these questions will resonate with you. Uh, let's get into them. So the first one is from Chris, um, who's at Vital Foundations on Twitter. He's a member of Traditional Cooking School, and he says, can you take your starter straight out of the fridge without a recent feeding and add it to fresh ground wheat? Will it work? 
So I think what Chris is getting out here is, um, well, fridge storage is when you want to take a break from your sourdough starter. So instead of it feeding twice daily and keeping it on the counter, like at room temperature, you put it in the fridge and it kind of goes dormant. It doesn't die, but it goes dormant. The, the cool temperature means the organisms slow way down. They don't need to be fed as often. They only need to be fed ideally weekly, but you can even go months. <laughs> uh, do what I say, not what I do, right? So anyway, that's a fridge break. But when you bring it back out of the fridge, his question is, do I just feed it and use it? Is it just going to work? Well, here's the thing. Yes, it will just work. I do this myself after a break. In fact, um, I want to say three or four days ago, I had had the starter in the fridge for about three weeks. And I pulled it out and I fed it. And I was using it. I was using it like 12 hours later. Now, here's the thing you want to watch for is if you take your starter out of the fridge and you give it a feeding, which that revives it and it, it goes from fridge temperature to, you know, your room temperature, it gets active again. Those organisms like go from dormant to more activity. So 12 hours after you feed it, or if it's a hot day, you'll see activity, you know, in a couple hours, you just want to check, um, the activity level are there lots of bubbles is it acting like it was before you put it in storage if it's kind of the same go ahead and use it if you feel like there's only a couple bubbles um, and you want it to be more active because maybe you're making bread not not an easy recipe where the activity level doesn't matter so much well then you would instead of using it after 12 hours you'd give it another feeding and wait another 12 hours and so basically you're going to feed it till it gets Feed it every 12 hours until it gets back to the activity level you want to see. That's as simple as it is. And as a general rule, not always, but mostly, the longer the break your starter has had in the fridge lying dormant, the longer or the more feedings it will need to resume back to uh, its previous activity level. If it was only in the fridge for a week or so, it's likely that you will feed it once and then be able to use it. If it was in the fridge for a couple months, it will probably need a couple feedings. <laughs> One time I had a starter in the fridge for, oh, I don't remember. It could have been a year or more. And so it took several days of feedings to revive, but it did. And um, when I first got into sourdough, I would do a lot of baking on Saturday and I or on the weekend, a lot of batch cooking, and then I'd put the starter in the fridge for a week, and I'd bring it out a week later, and I would only need one feeding to revive it because it was only in there for a week. Now, this is a tangent, <laughs> and in the comments, we're getting, I've revived mine after nearly a year. Yes, <laughs> me too. Um, now, my habit, and again, this is a ta tangent, but it kind of relates to the fridge storage thing, is I use sourdough seasonally. So during the baking season, which for us is the fall, winter, spring, the sourdough is out all the time. And I feed it twice daily. It's out on the kitchen counter because I'm baking with it every couple days. And I have a previous Ask Wardy on what's my daily sourdough routine. So be you, know, you can go check that if you're interested in that. There's a, a lot of it um, or a lot of more information there. And then during the summer, I don't bake so much with it because of the hot weather. And we're just eating lighter, not heavier breads. So I, I'll bring it out every couple weeks and I'll store it every couple weeks. So that's how that goes. So Chris, I hope that was helpful. Now we're into, um, let's see, uh, three questions from Tammy. So questions two, three, and four are all from Tammy T. So Tammy's first question, is sourdough considered a nutrient-dense food? Okay. I suppose if you ask 10 people, you might get... 
five people that say yes and five people that say no, or four and six or three and seven. I'm not sure there's a yes or no answer to this. My feeling is that sourdough is not like, and when you say is sourdough considered a nutrient-dense food, you probably want to say are sourdough baked goods nutrient-dense foods because sourdough is the method, but the things that you make with sourdough, the end result, the baked goods, are the foods. So are those end results nutrient-dense foods? So I want to say not really. Um, Sourdough is a key part of a traditional food diet. You know, if if you're going to eat grains, um, sourdough is the number one best method to prepare them for good nutrition and digestion. So it's a foundation of a traditional food diet. It doesn't mean everyone who eats traditional food is using sourdough because some people may have allergies or other reasons to avoid grains. But in general, in a traditional food diet, sourdough is like a foundational, fundamental method. That's why I included in my fundamentals e-course at traditional cooking school. So it is a part of a traditional food diet. It is a part of a nutrient-dense diet, but I don't consider it like one of the superfoods of the traditional food diet, like liver, butter, um, broth, fermented foods, cream, uh, grass-fed meats, wild, you know, wild, wild and grass-fed, uh, wild-caught and grass-fed meats. Those I consider to be nutrient-dense, while I consider sourdough to be a fundamental principle that is a part of a nutrient-dense diet. But I wouldn't call sourdough-baked goods like superfoods. It doesn't mean that the method isn't healthy. It doesn't mean the method isn't preferable for preparing grains for best digestion. It's just not um, nutrient-dense in the sense that our baked goods that we use sourdough on are not dense with nutrients like butter and grass-fed meats and broth, you know, the things I mentioned already. So I'm going to say no, I don't think sourdough or sourdough baked goods are considered a nutrient-dense food. It doesn't mean we run, a, run out and avoid them. It's part of a traditional food diet. Okay, so next question from Tammy T is, many experts recommend a permanent avoidance of gluten and grain. If your gut is healed, do you personally feel this is necessary? She says, I think I know the answer, but I would enjoy hearing you discuss it. All right, so um, once again, I'm not going to give you a clear, definitive answer here, Tammy, because it's really not a one-size-fits-all. Some people may avoid gluten for their entire lives because if they start eating gluten or grains again, then their symptoms return, and or they slide backward in health. They lose ground on the healing that they've achieved, or they have a condition like Hashimoto's or autism or, you know, something where gluten just causes a big flare up. And even if their gut is considered healed, um, there don't, that path is not good for them. That return path is not good for them. On the other hand, for others, a light to moderate consumption of grains is okay. And they still maintain a healthy gut. They don't have a recurrence of symptoms and they're doing still just great. Their healed gut has helped them to be able to handle the digestion and the nutrient extraction and, um, you know, there's the sensitivities are gone because there aren't undigested food particles going through the gut into the bloodstream. You know, the healed and sealed gut means that they are handling the gluten and grains the way the body should be handling it. And so a light to moderate consumption for those individuals just is fine. Now our family's experience, because we've had gluten sensitivity and we've had 
guts that need to be healed is that we have been able to return to light to moderate consumption. That doesn't mean it works for everybody. It also doesn't mean that we're gorging on it. We don't have a ton of bread products anymore. We um, are much more diverse in our starches after having you know, learned and having had to walk this road. The other thing is, is that we have gone to ancient grains rather than modern wheat when we have reintroduced uh, grains and gluten into our diet. Well, actually we didn't. We experienced some gut healing. We didn't know about ancient grains, so we returned to whole wheat. Also, we're using spelt because we knew about that. And now, now that we know even more, we're using einkorn. So we do a light to moderate consumption and the family members who were sensitive have experienced a degree of healing that allows them to consume that without, um, without any problems. Now, I want to say that the other thing that's assumed, but maybe not made specific, because in your question, Tammy, you re referenced that you were listening to a, um, some kind of summit, and they were talking about you know avoiding gluten and grains for the rest of your life after you heal the gut. Um, well, what did they say about the preparation? Because in traditional food, we know that the preparation is the number one way that you can help your body handle gluten and grains. Um, and sourdough is the number one of the food prep methods. So if you are going to return to a low, moderate to moderate consumption of gluten and grains after the gut is healed, don't ever discard using sourdough and or sprouting because they are going to pre-digest gluten they're going to neutralize phytic acid so that you'll be able to absorb the maximum of minerals from the foods that you eat. Um, and just overall, your digestion and nutrition is going to be so much better. Whereas if you were just to jump right into quick breads the way everybody else in the world does their grains, your, um, your, um, you know, your symptoms could come back. You could have a very bad experience. And thank you in the comments. Someone is saying my daughter's article is very helpful. Yes, we have a recent article at Traditional Cooking School that my daughter wrote. Um, she is, is, is sourdough gluten-free because people ask that. But she just goes into the science on the digestion of, of gluten. For, so if you want a deeper understanding of kind of what your body has to do to digest gluten and whether sourdough makes it gluten-free, which it doesn't. <laughs> That's the short answer. But anyway, there's more information there for you, Tammy. So to sum that up, it depends. It depends on if you can use gluten and grains after your gut has healed. If you do return, definitely use sprouting or sourdough to, to, to make it as easy for your body as possible. And take it slowly. Okay, you would want to eat a small amount. Watch for a recurrence of symptoms, like for a couple hours, even to a few days. And then probably don't ever return to heavy consumption. Okay, finally, Tam Tammy's final question. Is soaking still less effective even when using an acid medium than souring or sprouting? So she's saying if you're soaking with an acid medium, is it less effective than souring or sourdough or sprouting? She has a soaked kamut tortilla recipe they really like. It uses one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar for the three cups of kamut. Okay, so you kind of hinted that, because your question said, is soaking still less effective when using an acid medium? And I want to clarify that soaking usually always involves an acid medium. Now there's exceptions. You don't typically use an acid when soaking nuts or seeds or beans, but when you're doing all the grains, um, you're, you're adding an acid. So um, with the acid that is generally, you know, 
the understood method of soaking, yes, soaking is less effective. The order of the, the grain prep methods to prepare grains for best digestion is soaking, sprouting, fermenting, slash sourdough. And those are in order of effectiveness. Soaking is the least, sourdough is the most. You can combine sprouted and sourdough for an, another level of um, preparation. Uh, but at that point, you end up with, it's challenging to work with because the sprouting and the sourdough have both significantly changed the, the, the um, well, really the protein content of the grain. So it ends up crumbly. You know, the gluten has been so pre-digested that you have trouble with performance. Now, in a bread recipe, that's going to be an issue. In other recipes and even other recipes where you have additional binders like eggs or egg substitutes, um, it's not so much an issue. It can be worked around. So soaking, sprouting, sourdough. And if you want to do sourdough and sprouting together, that would be a fourth, okay? Soaking is least effective. Now, I want to suggest you love that Kamut tortilla recipe using one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar. What if you used one tablespoon of sourdough? Um, and then maybe you'd even boost the effectiveness of the soaking time because it would turn into a souring time. And even a tablespoon of sourdough with three cups of Kamut, if you give it long enough, um, you will get um, a soured tortilla recipe out of it. So I suggest you give that a try. Thank you so much for all your questions, Tammy. And I'm loving your comments that are coming in on Periscope and the hearts too, so thank you so much. All right, the next question is from Gaylene, and this was a personal question about my family's experience. Tracy, if you will post that at the end, I will add that as, a, as an eighth question, okay? Gaylene's question, how did Wardy know her daughter, that's me, Wardy, by the way, <laughs> How did you know your daughter could eat the gluten sourdough bread? So the backstory behind this is our daughter was gluten sensitive. My daughter, and then Gaylene is saying, my daughter is gluten sensitive, not celiac, but I'm afraid to try anything, or she's afraid to try anything with gluten because she developed so many food allergies, or maybe it's she and we. She got some treated um, natural method. So she got some treatments and a natural method. So she can eat most things now, but dairy gluten, um, bothers her and coconut bothers her. So how do you know that it's okay to try? Well, um, Gaylene, this is where you do just try. And like I was saying before to Tammy, um, when reintroducing, you would just want to have a small amount and watch for hours, if not days, to see if she has a recurrence of symptoms. Um, because you said she's gluten insensitive, not celiac, the chances are higher that she, if, if her gut has healed and um, you know she's much healthier, that she will be able to reintroduce those foods without issues. It's not a guarantee, and I'm not a doctor, okay? But as someone who's celiac is allergic to gluten and most likely will never return to eating it. Someone who's gluten insensitive has a digestive immune issue with the gluten that is probably related to an unhealthy gut, that if the gut is healed, then the gut will then be able to handle the gluten and grains. And so sourdough is going to make it the least bothersome possible. And so you would just want to try a little bit and see how she does. And I know you're afraid. Um, I was afraid too. When, when our daughter was gluten insensitive for so long, it was sort of like, 
ah, I just don't know if we want to do this. <laughs> but we did, and she handled it fine because she'd undergone several years of healing through avoidance and healthy foods. So I hope that helps Gaylene. Okay, Pam is our last two questions, other than Tracy added one in the comments that I'll, I'll make number eight. So Pam's first question, which is question number six. When you mill your whole wheat or einkorn flour and have leftover flour... Do you leave the leftover flour at room temperature and use that to feed the starter every day? I understand that it immediately starts to go rancid after it is milled. How many days can I leave it out of the refrigerator or freezer? I would think it is better to have it at room temperature to feed the starter that, rather than refrigerator or freezer temperature. Okay, so I think Pam is referring to um, my Ask Wardy where I talked about my daily sourdough routine. You can go to askwardy.tv and then look through the archives. I want to say it's episode 18, but... I'm just not sure. Um, so I said there that I don't mill fresh, even though we use freshly milled flours in our baked goods, I don't mill fresh flour to keep the starter going because what I do is I mill flour for what I'm baking and the extra is what I use to feed the flour. And yes, fresh ground flour will go start going rancid immediately. It's oxidation. Um, I do take that leftover flour and I put it in a canister right at room temperature on the counter. I'm not concerned about its rancidity or potential rancidity for feeding the starter. Just think about the flour you buy at the store. Um, you know, it's sort of just like aged like that, and I don't really think it's gone beyond the point of not being able to use it, and I'm using it in such small amounts to maintain the starter that I'm really not, not too concerned. I want the freshly milled flour for the majority of the baked goods, but I'm going to use that older leftover flour to feed the starter because the starter just needs a food source. It just needs sugar to keep it going to feed those organisms. Um, now, is it perfect? Mm, you can make the argument that it's not. But you could also make the argument that it makes sourdough very doable for us, it's convenient, and it's frugal. So I'm content with it. Now, maybe I could step it up one more layer by putting that leftover flour in the fridge. And Pam, you can take your leftover flour from the fridge and you can feed it to a starter. However, it being cold means that the starter is going to um, get cold and then bring up to room temperature. So there's going to be a delay in how soon it can consume that food. Now in the summer, that could actually be very good because in the summer, starters burn through food and you might have to add a third or a fourth feeding depending on how hot it is where you live. So if you want to slow down its activity because it's hot, it's a great idea to keep that leftover flour in the refrigerator or freezer. Okay, so you did ask how long is it good? Well, honestly, um, my leftover flour is out on in a canister, and it is an airtight canister, by the way, like no more than a week, and it's used up by the starter, but it's usually like half a week or a matter of days. So I would suggest your leftover flour that you use within a week if you're keeping it at room temperature to feed your starter like I do, and if it's going to last longer than a week, pop it in the refrigerator and just, you know, or a freezer and bring some of it out. Now, I don't know that that's a rule. I think that's just sort of a common sense thing that I myself follow. Okay? Pam's other question, which is question number seven, is I'm having an issue with too much fiber, even eating plenty of cultured food. Can I feed my starter with white flour or sifted whole grain flour? Will the starter work well with this kind of flour on two feedings a day? It absolutely will, Pam. Definitely you can do that. It's going to work great. It might even have a lot more activity than with whole grain flour. So you might notice a boost in, in performance. 
Anyway, there's no downside with that because again, the starter needs a sugar source and sifted flour or all-purpose flour, white flour are all going to provide that. And then you can do your baking, the bulk of the recipe with your whole grain flour that it sounds like you use, that you mill fresh. So those are really good questions. I'm glad you all answered those. And then we had a final question from Tracy that was added in the comments, and I'm going to add it here to my notes so I make sure that it um, gets added to our notes. So Tracy is at Wholesome Living, and she's saying she had a starter from November 2015 that's been in the fridge, and it has a layer of thick black liquid on top. Is that okay? So I need to make sure this is in my notes. So Tracy, that thick black liquid on top is completely normal. It's called hooch. Um, when you feed your starter just uh, normally, what it does is it um, produces acids, vinegar and um, lactic acid, the beneficial organisms. The yeast and bacteria do that as they consume the sugar, starches, and the flour. And if you put it in the fridge and store it, it just becomes black over time. But that's the hooch. That's the like golden liquid that looks, you know, normal to us under normal conditions. But you put it in the fridge and it blackens over time and, you know, it separates more. And so you get a really thick, it's kind of like mixing cornstarch with a little bit of water is kind of like the thickness of that paste that's at the bottom and the black liquid on top, which is hooch. And all you do and Chris, your first question, you know, this kind of pertains. When you take a starter out of the refrigerator storage and it's been a long time, you can actually just stir that liquid back in and just feed it. But I would think most sourdough bakers suggest just pour it off and just get a fresh start because it's actually full of, I believe. Now, I'm going to say I'm not 100% sure on this just so um, I, I cover my bases here and I'm not putting out false information knowingly. Anyway, I believe it's actually full of all the dead organisms. So, you know, not that there are any harm. It's just, you know, anyway, dump it. <laughs> Pour off that black hooch and then feed with flour and water and revive your starter. So Tracy, that's what it is. It's old hooch. Hooch spelled H-O-O-C-H. <laughs> Great. I'm glad. Glad to hear it. She says, awesome. Okay, well, we have come to the end of our sourdough frequently asked questions. Thank you all so much for being here. I want to um, let you all know that if you're listening and sourdough seems interesting to you, but you haven't yet started sourdough, I have free sourdough starter instructions at tradcookschool.com starter. So head over there. There's a video and print instructions that explains the magic of it and all you need is flour and water to get started have it mixed up in five minutes and within three to five days you'll be doing the easiest and best pancakes crepes waffles english muffins you've ever had they're easy they're delicious and they're oh so healthy because as i've spoken of at length during this podcast sourdough is the number one best preparation for grains to make them nutritious and digestible. We love sourdough and I am thrilled anytime somebody uh, comes over and learns it from us because I know it's one more convert <laughs> to sourdough. So again, that's tradcookschool.com starter. Um, and as I wrap up, just a reminder that these questions, my answers, and uh, the video, pod, video version and podcast version of um, video and audio version of this podcast are available at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 167. 
Thanks for joining me, everyone. If you've been on Periscope, making those hearts flow and sharing your comments, I really, really appreciate it. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you'll come back again. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode and get links and more resources about today's topic. Just visit knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then, without a space, type the number of this episode. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com slash watch to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. It's a gift. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Wardy while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop or laptop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. And while you're there, please leave a rating or review. I love to read your comments and your feedback makes it much more likely that others who are interested will find this podcast too. Thank you so much and God bless you.